This morning, I'm excited because we're in week three of our series, looking through the book of Jonah. And this, this study, let alone any message, for me has been incredibly helpful. Just wrestling through this book, this book holds all kinds of incredibly helpful truths that I've not really looked into. I've read the book many, many times, but there's been things God has revealed to me that's taught me, it's changed me. And my prayer has been always this week and last week and the week before that God would do the same kind of thing to those who come and sit in these chairs this morning together, that we might be more and more the people that God has called us to be more and more the people that would extend the grace and mercy of God to those around us. And so this morning, when we get to chapter three, uh, we realize this book of Jonah is, again, one of 17 different prophetic books in the Old Testament. These prophetic books are specific because they were written by prophets, these people that would be empowered by God to go and send a warning or an instruction of some kind, usually to God's people, saying, listen, you've missed it right here. You've gotten it wrong right here. It's time to turn and do something different. Jonah, however, is the only book that's actually not going to God's people, but it's going to people that God's people would never have seen worthy of this particular warning or opportunity. This is going to the Ninevites, to people who lived in Assyria, people who would have come in and ransacked Israel not long before this, and people that the Israelite people would never wanted to offer grace and mercy, let alone an opportunity for repentance. This is not something that would have been popular in Israel, and yet, this is the short straw that Jonah has drawn. You... Go to Nineveh and speak this word to them. They were barbaric people who did all kinds of things of nation, to nations around them, violent, terroristic, and yet this is the people that God has called Jonah to go to. If you, if you recall in chapter one, God says, get up and go to Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? Gets up and goes the opposite direction. Goes the exact opposite direction, a long, long way in the opposite direction, has no intention of listening to what God has asked him to do. And as you may know, he ends up in a giant storm on this ship. And as we learned last week, he gets thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish for three days and three nights. And even in the belly of that fish, you see Jonah begin to pray. And what he prays for, he says, thank you, God, for the salvation that you've given me for rescuing me from the waves and putting me into the belly of this great fish. And yet he, all along, is continually to be rebellious against giving that same opportunity for salvation and rescue to who? The Ninevite people. It's incredibly ironic that this prophet of God, the one that God has called to go to this place, is refusing in every way possible through chapter 1 and through chapter 2. Now, the very beginning of chapter three, this man gets vomited out of this fish. That's nice, right? He gets shot out onto the shore, into the sand, and he stands up. And again, the Bible says this in chapter three, verse one through three. The Bible says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a what? Second time. Came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to them the message that I will give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh the second time. And now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. When I was young, 16 years old, uh, I would hate to confess that my first speeding ticket came within months of getting a license. Uh, and in fact, my license was a Texas license, but I had moved back to Indiana. So I was living in Indiana. I was 16 years old. I'd been invited to go to a Thanksgiving dinner at my high school girlfriend's house. And I was like, this is so fun. I didn't have a car myself. So my mother allowed me to borrow her four-door Honda Accord. It was gold, total chick magnet. So I got in it and I took off to go to this dinner. I was driving from my house and there's one place where there's a big, huge dip, a big hill that went down into this kind of valley and then back up the other direction on the way to her house. And so I was driving along, came into this hill and began to go down and push the pedal to the metal just a tad, actually a lot of a tad. And I started flying down this hill as fast as I could go. 
About halfway through, I realized I forgot something in my house. So I turned around and flew back to my house to get what I'd forgotten, not realizing that someone had passed me that was a bit interested in how fast I was going. So I got what I needed. I got back in the car and I drove again because I was running a little bit late now to Thanksgiving dinner. I had to get there and get there quickly. And so I was driving, hit Mach 1 again, going down one side of the hill back into this valley. And as soon as I started coming down, there was this white SUV that came right up behind me. And so as a totally mature 16-year-old, I decided to brake check just a little bit, just to let them know that the way you're driving is completely unsafe. And so I did. And it did not deter the individual at all. And so they stayed right behind me. So I decided I would speed up just a little bit. So I sped up just a little bit. Came up the other side of the hill. And as I came to the very, very top, all of a sudden, blue lights inside the car, boom, came right on. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to the slammer. Like, this is the end. This is how it all ends. And so sure enough, he pulls me over in the front yard of this Indiana house in the middle of nowhere, and the whole family comes out to sit on the front porch to watch the spectacle. And he walks up to my car, and he gets me out of my car, and he walks me back, puts me in his passenger seat of his police car. And I'll never forget the first thing he said to me. We sat down, and he said, what's your dad going to say when he found out you got a ticket? I was like, he's going to kill me. Then he proceeds to tell me about how he got his first ticket. His dad was very upset. I'm like, dude, this is not helping at all. So eventually he let me go, and with a ticket in hand, and I went and had a solemn Thanksgiving dinner with my girlfriend's family, and then I drove home slowly to my house, and I walked in, and I gave my mom this ticket, I was like, hey mom, I need to tell you something, and so I gave it to her with a multi-hundred dollar fine on there, and then points on my license for reckless driving. 16 years old. I thought my life was over. And she takes it, and she said, well, I have some good news, and I have some bad news, and the bad news is you're going to have to pay for this. I'm like, I understand, yes mom. But the good news is, in the state of Indiana, there's a class that you can take. And if you take it, they will forgive these points from your license. And I was like, praise God. So gladly, I went to this class. I took the class. Points were taken off my license. I had a fresh start, a brand new opportunity. My life wasn't over, but instead, I had a second chance. How many know in the room we've been given second chances before of all different kinds? And in this story, in Jonah chapter 3, what Jonah is given, what he's offered here, is a second chance. Because our God is a God of second chances. And so in the story, Jonah gets thrown up onto the shore, and God says to him once again, you go take this message to the Ninevite people. You didn't listen to me the first time, but here's your second chance. A second time, the word of the Lord comes to him. And you know why? At the very heart of God is a deep desire to see all people repent and turn to him. This is what God desires among anything else. And so our God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. So Jonah gets thrown overboard, but a fish comes, swallows him up for three days, three nights. He's put back on land, and God says again, here's your second chance. You didn't obey the first time, but here's your opportunity to obey. Go to the Ninevite people and give them the message that I will give you so that they would recognize Yahweh. In their polytheistic society, they would repent from their violent and evil ways, and I might have grace on them. I'm convinced of this. In this room, there are probably many who are sitting here this morning and certainly on the stage who've had opportunities to go to people to extend grace and mercy and love and who've decided not to do it for whatever reason. There's all kinds of reasons that we come up with to decide this person or these people are not worthy of the mercy and the grace of God. They shouldn't have a chance to repent and turn back to him. I'll just keep it to myself. But here's the good news this morning. If you find yourself in that place, God is giving you a second chance. It's not too late. That person in your family that you want to keep it from because they've made you so angry, past actions, whatever's happened, these certain people 
these people you go to school with, these people that you work with, these people who live down the street from you, God has given you a second chance today. The things that you've put on the back burner, you've decided not to do, God would say once again, get up and go. Share the grace and the mercy of God. And maybe this morning as you sit here, you feel like, wait a minute, I'm the Ninevites. I'm the one who's made these decisions. I'm the one who's messed up in these certain kinds of ways. And the good news, the same thing is true for you. You know why God is so intent on giving Jonah the second chance? It's not for Jonah's benefit. It's for the Ninevites' benefit. Go and take this message to them that they might repent and turn back to God. If you find yourself here this morning, you've written yourself off because of the mistakes you've made, guess what? Our God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. It's not too late. No matter how many times you've messed up, no matter how many times you feel like you've failed, our God is a God of grace and mercy and he love and it's offered to you. And not just to you, but to those who you think it shouldn't be offered to. That's the good news of this story. So here's what happens. God says, get up, go to Nineveh. Jonah, though still reluctant, we find this out as the story goes along, though still reluctant, he gets up, he goes to Nineveh. God says, I will give you the message on the way. If I was Jonah, I'd be like, time out, God. If I'm gonna do this, go to this barbaric society, bring this message that you're gonna give me that I don't even know what it is yet. I'm gonna have to have all the information before I start this journey. Anybody else in the room? Any type A people in the room? Like, God, I need to know everything. I would imagine in this room, there are so many people who have not done something God's asked them to do simply because you didn't have all the information. I know what that's like. Like, I, I don't like being asked to do something that I don't have all the information for. I mean, like, opportunity number one is my wife says, hey, I want you to go to the grocery store and go shopping for me. Any men in the room? And I'm like, okay. If I don't have certain details before I go, I know that when I get back, I will be scolded for whatever I bought that I should not have bought. So she'll, she'll text me and say, go to the grocery store. Here's what I want you to buy. Paper towels. Seems easy enough, except I'll buy the wrong ones. So like in all caps, it'll say bounty. Got it. I want you to buy water. LaCroix Lime, all caps. So when I come home, I know I've done exactly what you've asked me to do because I had all the details, all the information from the get-go. This is not what Jonah is afforded. God doesn't tell him this is how it's gonna go. Many of us, like me, I would love to be able to be, to be prepared and be ready for whatever's gonna come my way if God's asked me to do it, but I know this is not how it goes. Often I'm willing to go and share love and grace and mercy toward other people if I know what to expect, if I know how it's gonna go, if I know how I can respond. But Jonah shows us that we don't have to have all the information to obey God. For many of us, we're waiting for everything. Before we make any kind of mood, we wanna know, is this gonna be okay? Are we gonna survive? Is this gonna be something that can actually happen? One of my deepest convictions of my life, a guiding conviction for my life, is that I know that I have been reconciled to God. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I've been reconciled to God because of his grace, not because of something that I've earned. And because I have been given this, my job, the Bible says, is to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation, to take this reconciliation to other people. It is an implied expectation. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, we are to take the grace and the mercy of God, the opportunity to repentance to everyone we possibly can despite our differences, despite the places we disagree. But for a lot of us, we have a lot of questions before we do this, don't we? What if I don't know what to say? What if they ask me a question that I can't answer? 
What if they hurt me? What if they don't respond? What if they don't look like me, act like me, live like me? What if, what if? And a lot of us, including myself, we have a hard time learning what it's like to live a life of faith. So if we have all the information, all the details before we act, we're not really acting on faith. Faith is when we step out and believe that God is so good, that he knows what's going on so much, that he has such a plan, that he's gonna provide for us if he's called us to go and do something. And so when God says, you go, we get up and go. There's a lot of uncertainty in this life, a ton. And we love control. We want control. And so often when we don't have that control, we, we become painfully paralyzed. And we're not a part of what God has asked us to do, just like Jonah. So I would challenge us all in the room this morning. Go talk to that neighbor. Cook that casserole. Drive to that part of the town. Write that letter. Make that phone call. Choose to forgive. See someone as a person. And do it without having to know what happens next. Fully trusting that if God is going to lead you, he's going to provide for you. Because I believe there are things that God wants to do that he won't do aside from our obedience. There are people that God wants to be a part of. He, he wants to extend his grace and mercy too. And the only way it may happen is because you decide, I don't need to know all the information to get up and obey him. Maybe even today to leave here and say, God, I trust you. I'll go where you lead. I'll do what you've asked me to do. And so Jonah gets a second chance. God says, get up, go to Nineveh and speak this word that I will give you. And Jonah, reluctant as he is, he gets up and he goes to Nineveh. Then Jonah says this, Jonah chapter three, verses four through five, says that Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Some translations say demolished. 40 more days and Nineveh will be demolished. The Ninevites believed God though. This is shocking to any reader who's reading this. Jonah comes in with a message that's not like the friendliest message of all things. 40 more days and Nineveh will be demolished. But look how they respond. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least, they clothed themselves in sackcloth. So Jonah comes into the city. This city, Nineveh, was, is present-day Mosul, Iraq. It was the capital of Assyria. More than likely, the Bible tells us 120,000 people lived here. This was a great, great city. And the Bible tells us it would take three days to walk across. Now, this means maybe from one side to the other, it seems odd to take three days to go away the cross. But to go street by street, to go through Nineveh and proclaim this message that God gives to him, this would have taken a very long time, especially if you're a reluctant prophet, especially if you're a little bit nervous about the things you have to say. And what's interesting is this message that God gives him, it's a very short and simple sermon. Five words in the Hebrew. The whole message. Five, I know some of you are like, you should try that one time. Five words for the whole sermon. It's seven words in English. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished or overthrown. And this must be an unpopular message, right? Everybody went like, thank you, Jonah, for coming and telling us this. I mean, I felt the pressure from time to time to come up on stage and and preach what I believe to be kind of what the Bible has taught us in whatever instance and been very nervous, feeling like this is not like a happy message. Everyone's been like, oh, thank you for that. That really meant a lot. Like, sometimes it makes me nervous, but y'all aren't like bloodthirsty, barbaric Ninevites, as far as I know. 
And so Jonah comes into town with this message. I can't imagine how nervous he must be, but he doesn't. Even though reluctantly, he does it boldly as he proclaims this throughout the streets. And this short sermon, seven words, this one last word, demolish, is a very interesting Old Testament word. This word is actually used 94 times in the Old Testament in multiple different ways. It's used in other prophetic books as well as other books. And of the 94 times this word is used, it's translated sometimes in English to be overthrown or overturned or destruction or demolished. But in the other half of these instances, it's actually used and, and translated into English as restored or turned. These are vastly different ways of understanding this one particular word based upon the way that we translate it into English. And so what this means is the reader could see this story of Jonah in two very different kinds of ways. And it's no secret from the very beginning of the book that the author wants everyone who's reading this to understand, certainly the Israelites, that God is intent on giving the opportunity for grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and repentance to the people that they thought never should have it. So given this, you could read this passage in two different ways. And most people probably wanted to read demolished or destruction. Certainly Jonah does. But here's what it could say. In 40 days, Nineveh will get what they deserve. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Nineveh will be demolished. But you could also read it. In 40 days, Nineveh will turn. In 40 days, Nineveh will be restored. These five Hebrew words have a bit of a double meaning. And the reason I think it does is because the outcome has not happened yet. There's 40 days before this takes place. Depending on what happens in those 40 days could change the very meaning of that word. So it could mean destruction, but it could also mean restoration. It could mean overthrown, but it could also mean turn. This is good news for the Ninevite people because God is a God of second third, fourth, and fifth chances. Doesn't have to be destruction. This is good news for us today as well. Because of the mercy and the grace and the love of God, we have an opportunity to respond to this love. So it doesn't have to be destruction within our life. It doesn't have to be failure within our life. Because of the grace of God, our lives can be marked by restoration, repentance, forgiveness. This is the message of Jonah. And I love how the people respond. Right away, they proclaim a fast. They go without food. They cover themselves in sackcloth. These two things was a way of, of showing intentional mourning. And sackcloth was not like a fashion statement. What they would do is they would cover themselves in these, these cloths made out of coarse goat hair. It was incredibly uncomfortable. And again, it was a way of them saying, communicating outwardly their sorrow, their grief, their repentant hearts. I know people who have come in contact with the grace and the mercy of God who have done things like shave their head, change their names, move to a new city, crush a cell phone, get off of social media. It's an outward expression of what God is doing within us. You see, repentance is not just I'm sorry. Repentance is I'm sorry with action behind it. I mean, the actual word looks like this. Someone is traveling this direction, living this way, doing this thing. And when we repent, it's a 180 degree turn, the opposite direction. This is the opportunity that Jonah is giving to the Ninevite people. Your violent and evil ways. Remember from week one, chapter one, violent and evil ways. This will lead to destruction. 
You've got 40 days for destruction or restoration. Jonah says, what happens from here is up to you. The shocking thing for the reader, again, these five simple words, the short sermon, this opportunity that Jonah has given, the Ninevite people respond immediately. You notice that? The very next verse, they respond, they believe in God, and they begin to do these things, sackcloth, ashes, they repent. If I'm honest, I would love to say that some of the hard words that have been said to me by friends, folks in my small group, other pastors, definitely my wife, when there have been hard words said to me because it's truth that I need to hear, I would love to say that I respond immediately but I don't. Sometimes I'm so entrenched in the way that I'm thinking. I'm so entrenched to the, to the, the trench that I've gotten myself into that I can't see anything else. These Ninevite people, they've lived this way for who knows how long. This has been a way of life for them. And suddenly this one Hebrew guy walks into town, gives this five-word sermon, and immediately they, re they receive this. They change their ways. They turn back to God. In this message, only five words long, it shows me that God can take our little and he can do a lot. If we're willing to be obedient, God can take our little and he can do a lot. Here's the thing. In order for you to go and share the grace and mercy of God to all people, regardless of disagreement, regardless of different ways of living, whatever it might be, all the ways that we disqualify people, if we're willing to do this, you don't need a four-year Bible degree. You don't need a six-figure salary. You don't need a blameless life. You don't need a high school diploma. This is something that all we have to do is be willing. If we're willing to go, then God will use us no matter how little we have. Here's how I know. God's been doing it for a long time. He feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves, a few fish. He turns the world upside down with 12 disciples. He speaks about mustard seed faith, being responsible in the little things so we can be responsible in the big things. What do you have that God has given you? Maybe it's a little bit. But with your obedience, I believe God can do a lot. Maybe it's one conversation that you have, and who knows, that conversation begins to perpetuate to other conversations. You see a whole neighborhood changed. What do you have? What do you have to offer? Even if it's a little, God can do a lot. This is what we see in the life of Jonah. Now, those who respond right away in this message are actually the Ninevite people, just the rank and file of Nineveh. Here's what it says then. This is a bit of a grass movement thing that takes place because in Jonah chapter three, verse six, it says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust, the king of Nineveh. This is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, he says, God may yet relent and have compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And then he says in verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. 
all because of Jonah's obedience, though reluctant, he comes and this decree then gets all the way to the king. The king says, here's what we have to do as a nation. Change everything. People put on sackcloths. You got a cow, put sackcloth on it. People and animals, no more eating, no more drinking. Sackcloth. We're gonna repent. What I love about the king, the Ninevite king, the one who never should have received this grace and mercy in the first place, he leaves no stone overturned. He goes the full gamut. Everything that we can possibly do, we're gonna do it, and here's why. Perhaps if we do, God will relent. God will turn. In my life, there have been times where sin has kind of come to the forefront. I've noticed it. I know it. I see it. And too often, if you're anything like me, I just repent of the things that just kind of keep me going again. Like, we'll deal with this stuff, but this other stuff I won't deal with right now. Like, this, this is like the pressing thing. This is the people, thing that people see. This is the thing that I'm embarrassed about. So I'll, I'll repent from that. But this other stuff that's led to this, I'll keep those things. I'll be really honest, most of my life, as I came through high school, I allowed God into so many areas of my life. God, your grace and your mercy can touch all of these things, can transform me in all these different kinds of ways. But if I'm honest, high school, college, and even after, relationships was the one thing I would not allow God to have. Because I was gonna do it my way. And every time, it was a complete and total mess. It affected everything. And for whatever reason, it was the final frontier for me. I wouldn't allow God into that. This is not the way the king responds. He says, all of it. Animals, humans, sackcloth, ash, no eating nor drinking. We are repenting in the fullest way that we possibly can. And what happens is the whole nation turns. The whole nation. The people who should never receive the grace and mercy from God because of Jonah being so reluctant but still going, everything changes. This must have been something that was so unexpected. And here's what I believe this morning. If we are going to be people who are in the business of extending grace and mercy, the love of God to people, no matter who they are, we better become people who expect the unexpected. We better become people who are anxious to see what God is going to do, even though we can't fathom it. Because our God is that good. And his grace is that good. In Japan in 1900... There's a story that there was a colonel from the Salvation Army who took 50 people with him to Tokyo, Japan. And in Japan in 1900, human trafficking, sex slavery was a major, major issue. To the point where Japan had already made a, a law about this, but the brothels were skirting the law by giving loans to these girls or loans to these families and then saying, if you come and work, then eventually you can earn freedom. But as you know, they never got free. They were stuck in these brothels in Tokyo and Japan. And so what happens is these 50 Salvation Army officers, along with this colonel, they come to Tokyo and they're like, we've got to do something about this. They, they wrote in the war cry, their publication, and said, listen, this is illegal. This is, should not be happening. But no one really listened. So they decided, here's the only thing that we can do. There was a major brothel, a large one in Tokyo. They decided to march around it with drums and they would sing and they had flags. And so these 50 people, these 50 Salvation Army officers walking around this brothel, beating a drum, singing with flags, fighting for the freedom of these women. And these guys from the brothel come out and they beat them up. They destroy their drum, they tear their flags, and they pummel them. So they leave, they leave defeated. Like, what do we do? Let's do it again tomorrow. So they did. 
So they came back, got a new drum, new flag, and they came back and they marched around the brothel again, beating the drums, singing songs, carrying the flag, and the same thing happened. These guys came out from the brothel, they beat them all up, broke the drum, tore the flag, but this time the press was there. They took pictures. They wrote articles about what was happening here, and all of a sudden this grassroots movement began to take place in Tokyo. People began to wake up to the atrocities of what was going on, and people demanded something, and so the emperor decided to make a decree And he said this, after this date, any woman who wants to walk out of these brothels and go to a police station, they can go free, no matter what. After that one imperial decree, a year later, 12,000 women walked out within that year. 12,000 women experienced freedom. You know why? 50 Salvation Army officers with a drum and a flag You have a whole nation of Nineveh who turn and repent. You know why? One reluctant prophet named Jonah. No one expected this. No one saw this coming. This was not kind of in the plan, either in Japan or in Nineveh. And yet God did what he's always done and will continue to do. So my hope for us and me personally is I would become someone who begin to expect the unexpected at all times. Even if it's inconvenient, I would expect God to move. Even if I have to reach across racial divides, reach across theological disagreements, reach across forgiveness of someone that I don't think deserves it, reach across my own dysfunction for me to repent, I want to expect that God will move in a powerful way, offer grace and mercy and forgiveness and an opportunity for repentance. What's most odd about this whole story, and we'll find it out definitely in chapter four, is the only person in the entire story who doesn't repent is, guess who? Jonah. The religious guy. He can't see it. Even though he's the one who brings the message from the God that he professes to love. But there's a reason for this to actually take place. There's good reason for this to take place. Because our God is a God who so desires to have relationship with all people, for all people to turn to him, to relent from their ways, to repent. In fact, it says in verse 9, who knows if we do these things, maybe God himself will relent. And this particular word is interesting as well. This Hebrew word relent is the exact same word as repent. It literally means a changing of one's mind. If we change our minds... If we repent, the Ninevites said, if we, if we do all these things, perhaps God will see it and he will turn back to us in love. This God, Yahweh. The king seems to believe this is what the God of Yahweh wants. And so look at verse 10. God does that very thing. The Bible says he relents. He turns. And there's a beautiful verse in 2 Peter in the New Testament that was written hundreds of years after this took place, but it, but it really illustrates why this took place. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. Our God is patient because he wants no one to perish. You know what the word perish means? Destruction. 
but instead he wants everyone to come to repentance. You know what repentance means? A change of mind, a turning. This is the message of Jonah to the Ninevite people. We see over and over again in the Old Testament, these prophets, their job is to stand in the gap for people. And so Jonah, though reluctant, he stands in the gap between God and the Ninevites. He says to them, if you repent, if you turn from your evil ways, this violence has got to go. But if you do, God, Yahweh, he is a God of grace and mercy. He'll turn back to you. And they do, and God does. Then you have another prophet that we've talked about these first two weeks. It's the prophet Jesus. He's better than Jonah. And he comes, not reluctantly, becomes willingly. And he stands in the gap for you and for me. And he says to us the same message that he brings throughout the Gospels. Repent and believe. Turn, change your mind. Believe God. And when you do, our God will turn back to us in love. And so this morning... As we leave, I believe there are many in this room that God is wanting for you to get up and to go, to put away all the reasons that we would not share grace and mercy and love towards other people. Today, you've got a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. And maybe this morning you're like, no, I'm the Ninevite. I'm the one who needs to respond. I'm the one who needs to return and repent. Good news for you. We've got a God of second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. And today, you could turn You could repent and know the grace and mercy of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us more than we could even comprehend. That even in the midst of our mess, God, you've come after us. That your love has chased after us. And for some of us, God, we've been running for a long time. Just like Jonah, we decided to go the other direction. But thank you, God, that your love, your love catches up to us. And I pray that today, God, there will be many in this room this morning who would repent and say, God, I I believe you. I want to turn from my ways. I want to turn from the things that I've been doing because I want to experience what it's like to live the fullness of life that you offer. And for anyone else in the room who knows that God is calling us to go to those people that we've written off a long, long time ago, that person, those neighbors, this group of people, I pray, God, you would give us the boldness that that we need to step out in faith and trust. We don't have to have all the information. We just got to believe that you'll give us exactly what we need because you can take our little and you can do a lot. So God, I pray that you'd use us. We want to be people who are part of the great mission that you have to reach everyone. We love you, Lord. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. May I never see it as something that's only meant for me. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.